forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in time to tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! Thanks for coming out, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Google Fiber Space and ATX Festival. I am Ben Travers, the TV critic at IndieWire, and I'm very excited to get into this panel. Uh, and for now, I'm going to introduce our panelists, because, you know, they're the important ones here. First and foremost, uh, our co-creator of Trial and Error, Jeff Astroff, uh, the developer and co-creator of Brockmeyer, Joel Church Cooper, and of course, one of the co-creators of Teachers, Kate Lambert. All right, welcome everybody. How you, uh, how you feeling? Everybody happy to be here? Yeah. Wow, that was loud. Okay. <laughs> Lowering the mic. It's, yeah, this is, this is, this is un <laughs> unbelievable. You guys, if you guys have a chance, take a tour of the green room. It is uh, the, the size of this chair. <laughs> Uh, well, today we're here to talk about, obviously, you know, pitches, and especially pitches that come to, when it comes to comedy. Um, so I just wanted to start off kind of generally, I mean, do you guys remember what your first pitch experience was? Like the first time you were in a room for a pitch and uh, what that was like for you? I can speak, for teachers, we actually didn't have a very traditional uh, pitch process. We didn't pitch. So we created what I like to call a digital pitch. We were all in Chicago, and uh, we were in an improv group called the Katie Dids. And we decided that if we wanted to get work, we need to show people what we were capable of. So we decided to write characters for ourselves, develop the characters, and we did a web series called Teachers. And so it basically became this digital pitch so that executives and networks could see what the show would be like and like the world of the show, how the characters interacted. And so uh, we had an agent at William Morris, Alec Botnick, and TV Land called them and said they were looking for a workplace comedy uh, with female stars um, that happened to create the show. And our agent was like, well, I have something for you. And so he could just send them the web series and they offered to buy it. So it's really not very common, and I, I realize... it's that easy. Really, it's just, <laughs> just do that. You know, just set up a webcam, and it'll all be fine. Um, but, you know, we put a lot of work into it, and, you know, we really developed the characters, and we had 24 webisodes, and we shot them over three days, 12-hour days in Chicago. But it was sort of um, a very untraditional way to get the show, and so that's how it happened for us. Uh, I can do the uh, flip side to that. Um, <laughs> my first pitch was, this is probably in the, uh, in like the 2007, 2008 area. Um, uh, I was doing improv uh, in Los Angeles and I had a, uh, a writing partner and performing partner. We were sort of doing like two man, like Nichols and May uh, stand up kind of things. But better. But better. Come on, guys. But They're old, <laughs> and one of them's dead, so we had, we had to take over. Um, so we, uh, we did a, uh, a web series, and uh, it got some views, and people liked it. It was basically about a, I think there's actually a show on uh, what, what, Freeform, maybe, that's exactly the pitch, which was like two male and female best friends who were like losers in their 20s. And uh, it was called roommating, and uh, and so people got sent around, and so then we went and pitched the show that was 
that web series about the two of us, but the show, you know? And people uh, did not buy it, uh, <laughs> unlike the, and they said, what's the premise? And I was like, the thing, we're roommates. And uh, we, they're like, you guys are a couple. We're not a couple. So there's a will there, won't they? There's not. Just two heterosexual people who don't find each other attractive and get in wacky adventures. And, uh, and, and I think the, you know, a good way to think about, you know, the pitching, especially when you're starting, is like, I think there's a, there's, you know, you want to be in the room for so long, right? You, you're, you're, you're yearning for it, you're working towards it, and then you get in the room and there's an idea, and uh, <laughs> you had the great experience, but for most of the, the <laughs> most times... It's really the worst experience. It's a world. charmed yeah. life, guys. Uh, really most nice. of the time when you get in the room, uh, you know, at least my expectation, I know some people that I came up with was like, great, we did it, we're here. They're going to buy it, and then we're going to be on TV. And getting in the room is just the first step of 20 steps to eventually uh, to continue your career. It's, you know, you know, we made fans. Uh, I, we broke up as a writing partner. She's gone on to host a podcast called Throwing Shade. She's a TV host. I continued writing. So our careers, you know, uh, you know went different ways. But... The first time we were together, you know, in those rooms, we were funny, we did bits, everyone liked it, it helped, but no one bought the show, and we went around probably like maybe a dozen different places, and uh, yeah. I, I don't, I, uh, maybe I remember my first one, but just in general, I think Joel is right. You, you wind up uh, thinking of your worst uh, rectal exam, just to comfort you when you're in a uh, pitch. Mostly, uh, it is staring at, it is people it's, who are staring at you, and there's always one person in the room, the junior person, who is taking notes. Like, you're not even saying as much as that person is taking notes, but they're taking feverish notes. I happen to be, I happen to be great at pitching, because I'm uh, so damn charming, and um, I can pitch, and usually it's something about, the first 30 shows I pitched before I got one on the air, were just about me and my, like everybody has their show about themselves and my mom and you know my wacky sister and everyone loves it and then they love the pitch and they buy it and then they, gave, they give you notes that have nothing to do with what you pitched. They just kind of, it was like a good first date but then you like look up the person and you're like, oh my God, they're a monster. <laughs> and, uh, and that's what happened to me one time I did a show called Bad Dad that was kind of a, they were all autobiographical until my latest one. And um, they bought it, and it was great. And then the studio called me back, and they said, they, I said, did you get any response? I'm like, yes, you know. Uh, I said, how was it? They said they had a, a note, like a big note, medium note. What was the medium note? They wanted to be a good dad. <laughs> <laughs> like, that, really, that really goes against the premise. And that was my thing. Every single time, they would love the pitch, read the script, and give me notes that were completely antithetical to what I pitched. They just like... You know, I was a funny, charming guy in the room. It really almost cost them nothing to buy it. It's like corporate money. And then you go through this horrible process of you feel great for like the minute you come out of the room, if you get that far. And then it, you're degraded until what you hand in is just whatever that person who you don't know was writing <laughs> for 40 minutes. Yeah, I think like, a, you know, a useful thing to think about when you're, when you're talking about pitching is are you pitching to broadcast? Are you pitching to cable? You know, what cable... Uh, you know, streaming now too, what is the network looking for? Um, 
And the thing is, you know, I think Jeff's mostly been working in broadcast for, you know, his career. And, like, with broadcast, there's just so many more hoops than there are in cable or streaming. Like, you have your studio, uh, and there's still way, way, way more money in uh, broadcast than there is in any other field of television. So everyone's invested, because if it goes well, there's potentially a billion dollars that everyone can share in, you know, except for the writer. Um, <laughs> but there's potentially a lot of money to be made, and so everybody wants to get their fingerprints on it. And so, as, as Jeff was saying, like, you pitch, and the people in the room like it. Well, they're just a cog in a much larger machine, and, you know... I've had friends who had, who've, who've like pitched to CBS and every step along the way, oh, they love it, oh, they love it. This is the number one. And then finally it gets to Les Moonves' desk and then he hates the script and then their pilot's dead. Yeah, and, and, it, and the entire way along, everyone was just like, oh, it's great. And, you know, Les Moonves is a very busy man and uh, he doesn't read, he doesn't know what his people buy. He just, you know, it's pilot season, let me read the scripts. And then he chooses his favorite because that's his job. But... There's just so many steps on a broadcast sort of pilot to series to is your series going to get picked up that on, in my experience on, you know, IFC, it's just, uh, there's just a lot fewer hoops to jump through. Well, kind of expanding on that a little bit, I mean, when you've got the project, like when you've got the one idea and you've set up, you know, 12 pitch meetings or however many pitch meetings you're able to get, um, do, you, do you change the pitch Per like who your audience is like for the same project like do you go in saying like we can do it for like broadcast this way we can do it for you know premium cable this way we can do it for streaming this like do you think about that or is it always the same I, I think there's always yes there always you have to know who your audience is like I think Joel had the the pleasure and luxury of knowing did you you guys did you go straight to IFC or did you no we pitched but we pitched to uh, pretty much just uh, premium cable and streaming only like we knew it wasn't a uh, you know, he talks about a strap on in the first two pages, so we knew we weren't. Spoiler alert! Okay. Sorry, guys. Um, no, so yeah, so traditionally I had been going to uh, network because I worked at I work at the Warner Brothers Corporation. I have for most of my career, and Warner Brothers is in the business of you know creating Friends and Big Bang Theory and Two and a Half Men and 20 of my failed pilots. And, um, but the others <laughs> paid the bills more. So, you know, they, they, like when I came up with the idea for trial and error, I, um, I'd been pitching trial and error for four years. And it was like, and, and they thought I was kidding, like to do a comedy about a, a murder trial, a guy who was accused of murdering his wife. And they're like, you're doing drama? I was like, no, it's a comedy. And they're like, do, do the one about your mother again. And so I did. <laughs> And I did, and it was great. And really, what it comes down to is that Les Moonves really does not give a fuck about my mother. And you don't... And he really doesn't. Yes. No matter how much you think he does, he doesn't. Joke. And they don't care, you know, they don't care about the guy with the, you know, the, the funny, wise-cracking guy who can't get laid. Like, they, he really doesn't like that at all. <laughs> like, and, and so, yeah, so I think you either have to know, when I, I developed Trial and Error for... For Netflix, I thought it's a bingeable show. We're going to do that. We're going to go that. And then Warner Brothers responded, fantastic. We have CBS tomorrow and then Fox, NBC, and uh, ABC. So they wouldn't even take it there because there is, at the time at least, and still probably because it's all about residuals and still, you know, for the giant Warner Brothers Corporation, you know, it's... Yeah, that's sort of a larger uh, topic than just pitching. But I think it's useful to know uh, when you go into the room, you should have a 
understanding of how the TV business is working currently and uh, to your earlier question, you know, you need to know, is this a streaming show? Um, uh, well, I would say premium cable and streaming, you can probably pitch in the same, uh, the same show to those venues, but you're going to tailor it different to streaming than you will to cable because, you know, uh, we, we were just talking about the green room, like uh, Jeff's show, for example, of, of trial and error is meant, it was really ideally binged, right? Because it's a mystery, it's a court case, you're gonna end on uh, a new development, so you wanna click over to the next one. And, uh, uh, you know, my show Brockmire, like, you know, it's a narrative about an alcoholic, so it's not, <laughs> it's not necessarily scream bingeable, but, so then I sort of constructed, so every episode ends with a cliffhanger so that uh, you wanna skip ahead to the next one, knowing that, you know, no matter what we do, uh, you know, my show airs, uh, you know, weekly on television, but really, 90% of the viewers who will ever watch it in its lifetime will watch it on a streaming platform at some point, whether it's now or 20 years from now. Fingers crossed, right? <laughs> that we make it another 20 years um, as a society. But... Uh, <laughs> the show will be here. Yeah, the show will be here. It'll on a server somewhere. I don't know if people will be here. The show and cockroaches. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but you have to sort of know uh, uh, the, the sort of the business and how it's working, and the business is changing dramatically. Like we were just talking about the green room, Warner Brothers has a model that was built to make a shit ton of money. Of Friends, you know, all the Chuck Lorre shows, you know, Chuck Lorre has made them billions of dollars. And, uh, so, uh, so they, of course, they love that model. It's been their model. It's been a, made a lot of money. But things are shifting, and it, things are going towards streaming, and things are going towards ownership of your own show. Warner Brothers doesn't have a network; they have CW, but you know, uh, and that's you know, but they don't have a broadcast network, really, like the other ones do. So, you sort of have to know where your audience is, where, where you can sell it. If you sell it, who can they sell it to? As a studio, to a network, and have a vague sense of like. Uh, tailoring it, your pitch to your, uh, you know, to the, whether it's streaming, whether it's cable, whether it's broadcast, you kind of have to tailor your pitch towards that, knowing the business outliers of how to get it on. But, but I, what, I, I, go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was going to say, when we started with teachers, because we started with a web series, the first season was very, uh, we wanted people to be able to watch it at any point in time, you know, pick up and not be completely lost. And as the series has progressed, we've focused more on um, the story arcs for each individual character, so there is more of that, what's gonna happen with this character um, as we go on. Yeah, just just uh, because the Warner Brothers Corporation is paying my ticket here, I just wanna say how grateful I am. Um, <laughs> no, but also, my last project I pitched is a show that was for streaming, and I was very, very happy, even though they would prefer me to do a CBS multicam, which is, True, if you get a, a multicam on CBS and you go through all that stomach wrenching, you know, turning it into tapioca pudding. Anybody here with CBS show? Um, and uh, that's, that's how you, you go through five really miserable years of taking notes and feeling bad, and then you just buy a castle. Um, yeah, the money, the money is so much different. The money is so much different. I, you know... Uh, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. <laughs> the, the difference between a broadcast show that goes for five years and a cable show that goes for five years. I mean, just in terms of the, your individual salary and the back end of it, it's, I don't know, 10 yeah, times, no. 20 times as much, uh, you know? But it's also dealing with, so the, the last show I went out with, um, I went out with uh, Sharon Horgan, who had the idea so that I could go straight to 
like because she had a deal with Amazon, and I went in for the first time pitching to the streaming places, and it really, I really did feel like Austin Powers, though, like going back, I was so like, had no idea, like you go in, there's like a retinal scan, there's not even doors, like to some of these places, like pitching to Apple, like, and it's just like, like young people, like with giant screens everywhere, so finally we wound up at Showtime, which was, I, was, I felt safer. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, kind of dialing it back to the, the beginning a little bit, I'm curious just when you, were, when you were coming up and when you were, you know, first writing and you first kind of, you know, even heard the idea that you were going to have to pitch this to a network in, in one fashion or another. I mean, what were you told to do? Like, what were, what were you instructed? What did you learn? What were, like, the first kind of advice that you had where it was like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to craft a pitch? Uh, you know, your your agents or, or, you know, your producing partners will sort of, if you're green, will give you a pitch document. They'll sort of walk you through it. Uh, on the Brockmeyer pitch, we did a couple pitch practices but uh, and sort of, you know, how it would go. The most successful ones that I've been a part of, it's, they're sort of half scripted, half improvised. Like, you know what you're basically going to say, but if it's too scripted, they'll feel it in the room. And they, they want to, you know, uh, uh, I think... The one thing I want to talk about is, you know, you were performing in Chicago, I did improv. Jeff, you did stand-up, uh, and he's, you know, obviously, you know, very funny and on person, and that really goes a long way. You know, um, when you're in a room with uh, pitching a comedy, if you're not funny in the room, they will not buy it. Yes. <laughs> you know, you are the, the uh, you know, the avatar for, for the show's voice. And so you walk into that room, and, and I'm sure you guys are a team. So, yeah. you know, you have a there's, a, there's an advantage. Uh, the best pitches that I've been a part of have been with a group of people who have a chemistry. Mm -hmm. And so you're bouncing off each other, you, you're riffing, and sometimes there's scripted jokes, sometimes there's just jokes you find in the moment. And that tends to really uh, help the pitch a lot. Because if you're funny in the room, they're going to believe that there's going to be, uh, you know, funny on the page. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I think also, you know, we were preparing to pitch teachers before it got bought. Um, and so it's easy because there were six of us to divide it up. And it's very, with the improv background, it really helps it to be, you know, natural. But, yeah, it was exactly like what Joel was saying. Like, you know, we were memorized, but you want it to seem, I think, off the cuff and natural. Um, and we had Allison Bree, who was one of our executive producers, you know, coming on board. So, you know, we had also someone who has been through it before, you know, helping us as well. I think it's like I think it is it's a total performance. It is a total performance and you know my first pitch when I went through I just you can't just get along on just being I talked for like an hour and a half and that's just way too long. I like I was like the Jeff Astroff show. It's so long guys. Yes. I don't know. No, you know, no, 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 it's way too long. No, you should be it's in ridiculous. and out. It was, and yes, you should be that was my very first pitch. I went in with my agent and I was like, "How was that?" I felt so good. I was like, I had the mic for an hour and a half and he's like I have no idea what the fuck you said in there. And he's like, there's no way they're going to buy that. And the, the truth is you want them to want more. You have to be confident. You should for sure um, work on it a lot and script it. Like Joel said, like you want to work. It's like any performance. Like you want to do it up to a point where it's still fresh for you and interesting. It doesn't feel memorized. Yeah. And there can be improv moments. But know where your jokes are going to be. Know where you, and know where you end. There's so many times I've done the pitch where I stuck the landing and then walked around after. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you, you want to stick the landing, drop the mic, and get the hell out yeah. of there. You want to, yeah, it's a, it is, a, like Jeff's saying, it is a performance. Um, and so it does help, uh, you know, having an improv background, I think, really, you know, does help me enormously in my TV writing career just in a writer's room. But also in selling things, 
you know, you're, you, you, you have an audience, and if you have a, a, an improv background, you're used to uh, that connection with the audience and feeling out how it's going. Mm -hmm. is, this the right, is this the right area? Is this, you know, you're kind of in the dark, feeling around, and, uh, uh, you know, when you, when you hit on something, you know, you don't know these people. They're, they're network and studio executives, uh, you know. Sometimes they're really awesome, and sometimes they're exactly the stereotype you think they are. And you, uh, when you're in that room, you sort of have to feel it out. Are, what are they laughing at? What are they liking? And then you have your jokes, you have your things that say your show, and then as you're sort of feeling it out, and you're, you know, oh, that's what they like. Okay, now I'm going to sort of tailor my thing towards that sense of humor, because that's what's playing in this room right now. Mm -hmm. So no pitch should feel exactly the same room to room, because you're in a different room with different people, and you have to sort of, uh, you know, tailor your pitch to that energy. Well, I feel like the phrase elevator, elevator pitch gets thrown around a lot, and, and I feel like a lot of people are told that's something that's really important and crucial to have when you're going into those meetings, or even before you get the meetings, just to kind of be able to give people an idea. Is that something that's still like relevant to you guys? That's something you spend a lot of time on? I don't think so. I think that, uh, I don't, I mean, you should be able to, to boil down your idea to a concise log line, you know? You, you should be able to like, this is what the show is, right? But the idea of an elevator pitch of, in 90 seconds, I'm gonna run you through that, even the idea of an elevator pitch, if you're pitching to someone in an elevator, you're not selling it, you know? Uh, you're bothering someone. <laughs> no one likes to talk in an elevator. No, and, and, and like- and if you wanna practice being in an elevator, go in the green room. <laughs> if, you guys, if you guys would've seen the green room, these bits would've killed, because it's so small. But it's it's, such it's a good, so it's, small. It's such a good, um, it's, a so, really, it's a really uh, good joke. Flavored <laughs> water in there. That's great. <laughs> but you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't pitch to people in an elevator. But the idea of an elevator pitch of like uh, having a uh, you know a log line uh, you know or even and even a slightly longer paragraph you know of what you're but it's a useful exercise in that uh, you know boil down uh, what your show is in one sentence. Like for Brockmeyer, you know for the season it's it's about broken down uh, you know alcoholic baseball announcer has a breakdown uh, uh, in, in the cold open, disappears for 10 years, and works his way back up to the minor leagues, right? That's the log line. If you want to do the simpler, like what is in one you know, sentence, I say it's, a, it's about an asshole who get, who's getting better as a country gets worse. Like that's what the show is over four seasons. That's what we're going to do. Yeah, um, I was going to say teachers is like, you know, uh, six hot mess teachers trying to uh, teach the future of America. So it's like, you know, very succinct. But, right. But I also think that one, uh, I think Joel's right, don't pitch in the elevator. But um, I think an escalator is okay. But I, I, I feel like you do need to know what your show is. More than that, you need to know what your show is. And if you're rambling, then people won't get it. And, and the, certainly in what I do is, you know, typically network. Another benefit to having a log line is that the person who's going to buy it is not necessarily in the room. So you're going to, you're going to want people to be able to say, he just pitched a show about a Hank Azaria as a baseball announcer who has a breakdown on the air and then has to come back, you know, 10 years later. And, like, you get that. And otherwise, they're going to try to paraphrase what you spoke about for an hour and a half um, in the worst-case scenario. But even, like, what, if you didn't know, like, mine was very, it was very simple. Like, once you get, it's like, it's a murder documentary. Have, has anyone here seen, you know, you say, has anyone seen The Jinx or The Staircase, Making a Murderer? I want to do that as a comedy. It's like, okay, you're either in or you're out, but you know, like, that's it. You know what you're getting. And it also helps you to write the show as a writer, because I've mm -hmm. done so many shows where you, like, you kind of know what the pilot is because it's something funny that happened to you. 
And then you're like, what would happen next? And over the course of writing the pilot, you get destroyed and think there's no show there anyway. So it's helpful to write down what your logline is. So yeah. when you're writing it and you give up all hope, you know. Yeah, yeah. as you're going forward with the show, I'm, I'm sure you guys that sort of teaching America, you know, is the future, like, you're like, you're in a scene, you're in an episode, it's like, well, what you're lost, it's like you go back to, well, what is the show? What is the show that we set out to make? What's our mantra? What's our log line? Okay, that's what it is. That's, that usually, that can be a flashlight, you know, in the darkness to sort of lead you back to, to the answers, you know? Well, uh, you mentioned Alison Brie, and obviously you worked with Hank Azaria, and, you know, everybody kind of has uh, a different assortment of talent that they might have on hand when they're pitching something. You know, sometimes it's just the idea and there's, there's nobody attached yet, but, I mean, do you bring those people into the room? Like, do you, or like, is there, yeah. is there such a thing as like, you can have too many though, or is it uh, just? You can't have too many famous people in a room pitching a show. <laughs> All right. That is not a thing that is true. Um, is there uh, too much money to be Yeah. Because, uh, you know, even people in the industry, even, uh, you know, uh, people who are jaded and see celebrities all the time, they would rather talk to a famous actor than a funny writer, you know? Um, that's just a true thing about Hollywood. <laughs> uh, doesn't matter how charming you are, doesn't matter uh, what your credits are, they, uh, unless you have proven the ability to make gobs of money, they don't really care who you are in the room. But if you have a actor who is, they've recognized a million things and they love, it helps enormously. And especially when you're starting out, like I would, ne if I had, well, I mean, my situation's different. Brockmire was a character that Hank had. Then I created a series around that character and then we went in together, so it was a true collaboration. But let's say I had come up with the, char the character of Brockmire on this show on my own and went to pitch it. We would not have sold it. At that, you know, I, at that point I was pitching it, I was a story editor, which is the sort of second rung up on the Union WJ scale. Uh, I was working for Jeff uh, at the time on a show. So just to see how bad things were in his life. Yes, <laughs> Jeff was my boss. Uh, but I was a low-level writer, and, and no one was looking to, no one is trying to buy a show from a story editor. Uh, you know, they just, it, you know, you don't have that kind of industry juice and but you bring Hank Azari in and he's doing the voice you know and I'm talking about the future and where the show is going and then when I do that he's doing scripted jo jokes that I've written for him all of a sudden now you've got something that can excite people in a room uh, and they can picture it too like the yes. hardest thing like the, the most difficult thing for I think getting your thing across is your, your idea across is that you're dealing mostly with people who are not creative and who can't you have to tell them what you, you know, and that's why they're buying it from you, is that, like, so you have to sell it. Like, this is very easy. You see Hank Azaria doing, you know, uh, you know, the Joel script. It's like, okay, I get that show. I want to have that show. Like, for me, it's just like, well, it depends on casting, because ultimately casting is 100% of a show, I believe. Yeah, that's a hunt. It's totally right. Um, and the other thing I would say is, you know, I think in, in both of our cases, uh, there was something to show. Like, there was a funnier die short of, that Brockmire was. And so what we did is we sent, the, we sent the pitch document and the short before the meeting. So they had gone in and they had seen Hank in character and they had seen kind of, uh, okay, but that's a sketch. Well, where do I go from here? Oh, here's the pitch document. Okay, here's where, you know. And in some cases, that is really helpful, especially when you're starting out. Yeah, and I think with teachers, the thing that was so helpful about our digital pitch was, you know, there are six of us. We're all named Kate, Katie, or Caitlin. 
There are two Kates, uh, three Katies, and um, a Caitlin. And so I think when you have six uh, female leads who are all teachers, it can get, um, and it just six leads in general, it can get a little confusing. Now, which one is that? Okay, that one's this one. And so to have you know, the web series was super helpful so that they could see all the individual characters, see their quirks, um, and, and really picture it so that in the pitch itself it wasn't like confusing of whose teacher is this and which one is this. Okay, Caroline is that one. So that was really helpful. Yeah, and, and I just recently had an experience of I uh, went around with a one-hour sort of action-adventure comedy uh, idea with Topher Grace, where we co-wrote it together, and we went to basically streaming sites, and then we sold it to Amazon, but we wrote a script first, and our pitch was, uh, hey, we did a fake trailer, and then we, uh, we did artwork, and then we dropped off a script, and so the whole pitch was seven minutes, um, and we felt really good about the script, and uh, we, it was exactly what we wanted, and we dropped it off, and, and we got it bought, Amazon bought it, but there wasn't as much interest as we thought because I would say this, the strategy of going in with something to show is great, but the spec market is really, really dead. <laughs> People really uh, don't like to buy actual scripts because if you think about it, uh, you know, an idea, a pitch, it's amorphous on some level, right? The, the studio or the network is projecting what the show is, and their projection is different for each individual person. A script is a script, and you're also saying, we don't need your notes. Uh, it's already done. And so, uh, and so then they can say, no, oh, that, that's what it is. Oh, I thought it was gonna be like this. Yeah, you know, uh, we still sold it, but I think we were anticipating uh, after the process was done, I was like, oh, we shouldn't have written the script. <laughs> we should have just uh, pitched it, shown the trailer, and then been like, uh, and even if we had the script, not do a drop-off leave-behind, just because um, and, and very few, even in movies, very few spec sales are done now. Uh, it can be, a, I, I would prefer that, you know? Yeah, I would really would, prefer you don't, you don't want confrontation, you don't want like, and you also don't want no, like I say you, I'm assuming none of us do, like no, it's, <laughs> it's just, it's so, it's, it's so painful. It is just the worst part of like, I, I have a bottle of uh, anti-anxiety medicine on my desk and I have, uh, and then the, you know, the pick-me-up anxiety, <laughs> and every time there's a notes call, like I'm like, shit. Like, it's like, and, you know, you go through the same process. You anticipate what the notes are going to be, and you get mad, and then you're right. <laughs> like, it's always like, you get, I get so many fights in the shower before I'm even, with, my, with these people before I even get on the phone. And it's just like, and that's, but that's part of the process. That's their job. If you give them a script, there's no, it's like, it's yes or no. Yeah. And yeah. yes is really hard because they have to really go out on the line. Um, I, I think it's more common, yeah, to, to do what you're doing is sell an idea because then I think the network feels like they can, uh, you know, give feedback and mold it in a way that works for them. Because we did the same thing a couple years ago when we sold a project and it was, you know, we sold the idea and then we did the pilot. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh you know, people like to do their jobs, <laughs> even network executives, studio executives, and when you hand them a finished script, um, they, uh, they don't get a chance to do their jobs, really. I mean, they can give notes on it, but it's not, they don't get a chance to shape it, especially, you're usually pitching development executives. That's what they do for a living, is they help shape ideas. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's just, a, there's just a resistance to 
and I, I, the idea that something is completed, uh, I feel like. So, I, you know, next time I do something like that, I think I might write the script just to be like, well, what is the... Because it was a very... Essentially, it was like, we're doing Romancing the Stone, but Goonies uh, as a 10-episode series, and it's, it's like an action-adventure show. It's expensive, so already we're like... You know, there's only a few places you can take a $60 million 10-episode show, you know? It's basically Apple, Amazon, Netflix, uh, you know, the streaming sites, basically, and, uh, uh, and, may and HBO. Um, and so you're already limiting at that time. And then we give them the completed script, and we wanted, to, we wanted to write it to get the tone exactly right, and we got the tone exactly what we wanted it to be. But I think uh, if I were to do it again, we would have done that you know, put the script in a desk, then pitched it now knowing exactly what the tone is, have the jokes we like, have the artwork, have the trailer, and then when they say, uh, all right, well, bye, now, you know, here's our notes, and then we're like, okay, and then, you know, three weeks later, here's your idea. <laughs> we took all your notes, they were so helpful, and now here's the script. Such fast workers. Yeah. Well, kind of kind of bouncing off that, I, I mean, I'm curious, either from your own experience or just what you've heard around town, what you've heard from other people, kind of what the big or the common mistakes are in a pitch room? Like, what do you hear people doing that almost never works? Or what do you, like, what, do people walk in and kind of expect this and then, you know, something else happens? But what are kind of the mistakes that you guys see or hear, or hear about? I, I think, well, first of all, it's changed a lot. When Going back to your streaming, you know, I was told when I went to the, the streaming meeting that you have to pitch, you have to pitch the first 10 episodes. Uh, you pitched, I, I had to pitch the show I went, the first 10 episodes. Uh, plus the next three seasons. Not individual, but like what's going to happen each season. And it's really all bullshit because you don't know. You can kind of, I knew, I know every season where the show's going to end, but you know, you, there's no way to know every single episode. Yeah. You have other writers and then you hire an actor who's incredible and then you see that, wow, this storyline is dead and you don't want to lock into that. But I think you have to show them why it's a show, uh, be very, very confident without being, you know, too cocky because they want you to need their help. Uh, and don't go too long. Like, stick it, say, this is what the show, stick to what the show is. You know, I always intro with some kind of funny joke and, you know, and then just whatever. I also did improv, not as much as these guys did, but uh, we, we were going to be Nichols and May till he took it over. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and yes, you, you sense the room, you do that for a couple of minutes, you kind of warm up the room, you say your idea, I always end with, and someone told me, and that's, and that's our show, and then get prepared for, just be prepared, like really know the show inside out, because they will always ask you really specific questions that are so not important to you, but are so important to the person in the corner who's writing down everything you say about character and it's always about mm -hmm. character drive and what the characters want and why do we like this character and you like the character because you cast them like yeah and, and uh, just mistakes I think you know Jeff hit it on the head but with the uh, end well you know um, if it's going well end well you know what, what it's just a, it's just like any performance you know you're up on stage, you're doing well, you're getting laughs. If the last three minutes peter out and then they, they hit the lights, all anyone's gonna remember is those last three minutes. No one will remember the first 20 minutes when you were killing, they'll remember the last three minutes when it seemed like you didn't know what was happening. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've been in rooms where, um, 
uh, I've been in rooms where it was going well, and then it was kind of going well, and then something happened. Maybe a studio executive said something weird, and then uh, the network was like, "What is that?" And then, <laughs> and then you're trying to rein it back, and then you get a little sweaty and reining it back in, and then the last the last three minutes of that pitch are just death, and you're like, "Well, I didn't sell that." But the other thing I would say too is um, when you hear yourself talking during the pitch, it's over. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Um, and the other thing I would say is there are some rooms where you walk in and within the first 30 seconds you realize, oh, I'm not selling it here. And so the other thing I would say uh, is a mistake is to treat every opportunity as, no, I'm going to sell it everywhere. It's like you go in the room, like we're talking about, you're feeling out the room. And sometimes you're feeling out the room and it's like, oh, this was a courtesy. Like they're not going to buy this. Uh, they don't want to be here. And in that case, just speed through it. Yeah. You doing the full dog and, uh, and, and, uh, dog and pony show doesn't help. Um, that kind of wide-eyed, you know, like, I can make anything happen if I believe, you know? <laughs> they don't respect that. <laughs> what they do respect is like, oh, he's picking up what I'm putting down, and uh, uh, he's being professional, uh, and, uh, and rather than an hour, he did it in 15 minutes. <laughs> And we got, and then we politely passed at the end. And then now, the you know, with Brockmire, you know, we probably took it maybe twelve places, and three people were sort of like interested in buying uh, the pilot. And then IFC was the one who had said, uh, "We'll pay you to write the script, and then if we like the script, we'll pick up the series from script." So they were the smallest of the networks that was interested. The others were AMC and uh, and TV Land. But we were like, well, if the odds are better beginning getting on the air, that's what we're going to go for. But we went to a lot of rooms that, like, we went into HBO. They had Eastbound and Down. We knew they weren't going to buy it, but they wanted to hear it. Uh, so we went in there, and we did the same pitch that took half hour, 40 minutes. We did it in 10 because it was like, they don't want to buy this, but let's do it so that then, you know... Uh, you go through it, you do the thing, but you do it on a professional level. Casey Blois, who's now the head of HBO, was there. I don't know if he remembers, but there's a chance he could be, rather than being like, and they fucking, that Brockmire pitch was like, why are you wasting my time? If we go in and we're professional, we do the pitch, maybe now he thinks of it as like, oh yeah, we didn't buy that show that's still on the air. Oh, okay, you know, like, you kind of want to, sometimes you're playing the long game of, you're going to be pitching these people again don't waste their time in a way that like you piss them off so when you come back you're like oh yeah you're that asshole it took up my day you know it's a it's a great point also i was thinking that before like have a bailout point where you know that like there's the because i've done that too with it and it was so dead like it was a show for abc and it was like a kind of a angie tribecker airplane spoof and the woman who just got transferred over and she had one season she got transferred over from the head of drama to the head of comedy and we pitched out this like wacky, very literal show. And from the instant, she just stared at us. And my partner at the time was like, I think we should bail out here. I was like, no, we have eight more pages. <laughs> and it was so bad. And it was just like, we're never going to work. They're not even going to let me watch ABC after this. It's like, it was just such a bummer. And it's also like, you are going to be going into like sometimes like 10 or 12 places. It's also a bummer for you personally to like, because there's going to be, most of the people are not going to buy it. And it's a lot, like you go out, it's a lot of adrenaline to do that. Yeah, it's a, it's a performance. You're, you're essentially putting on a play. And so uh, uh, conserve your own energy. You know, sometimes you have multiple pitches in a day and you're in the room and you're like, oh shit, they don't want to buy it. Um, the, the coldest room I was ever in was, uh, we pitched Brock Meyer to Showtime. 
And uh, I've since pitched the Showtime, and the, the same uh, guy in charge was delightful on the on the Treasure Squad uh, pitch, but that's the Topher thing. But um, but on the uh, on the Brockway pitch, he did not like it, and uh, we could tell that he really didn't like it. And uh, and then at the end, we so we sort of like bailed out and said, "All right, that's the idea." And he was like, "Yeah, we have a kind of similar concept uh, that we're really excited about. We have a show with Andrew Dice Clay about you know his life and." His family, and I'm like, oh, you have a curb with Andrew Dice Clay. Cool, you know? Uh, that sounds fucking great. Uh, well, that's and, exactly what I was pitching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and his smirking confidence of the hit they had in the Andrew Dice Clay show uh, was, uh, was something I held on to. And then when I watched that show uh, and saw what it was, I was uh, <laughs> delighted. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you have to take the little victories like other people you do. You've got to take the little victories. Yeah. You know, you go in a room and you get shat on uh, for this great idea that he's working on. Then you see it and you go like, all right, okay. Suddenly that getting shit on don't feel so bad two years later. I think it's also important when you um, are pitching to something to see what else they have. Um, and what you could bring to it. So, you know, to be really familiar with the other shows, um, how, you know, your show fits in with that thematically, but also how you could bring in new viewers for them. Um, and I agree with Joel, like, uh, performing really taught me a lot about pitching. Like, when, when I've been in the room and I've pitched before, it's, it's basically, like, with improv, like, I toured with the Second City, so it's, it's one of those things where you tour all across the country, and you have to know what you think is funny and do that. Because people can feel when it's not authentic to you and it feels a little artificial. And when people can see that you're playing to them, uh, I find that they bristle at that and it turns them off. So I think you have to do, you know, like sometimes with executives, they, they won't give you much. And so you just have to be confident um, and true to like your comedy um, and, and, and just know that. Like with Second City, like we would have auditions, they're 12 minute increments for like 10 hours a day for five days. So 900 people come in all across the country, they call back 18 and they cast three or four. So it's like really unlikely odds. And I remember the first time I auditioned for the National Touring Company, um, my, my mom goes, how did it go? And I was like, I'm shit. And, <laughs> and my mom was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, listen, I'll go in there thinking I'm great and they'd be lucky to have me. But then you leave knowing that, you know, your chances aren't, aren't that great, but you have to go in there in the room with this positive energy and you have to go in going, these people would be lucky to have me. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And, you know, that's just the, I think a, a lot of the, the positivity and knowing what you could bring to a project and bring to a network is really important. I think people pick up on that. Does anybody still want to do this? <laughs> and, uh, I'm including the people up here. That wasn't up. Was that uplifting? Really, no, no, but it, it is a matter of uh, it's a matter of resilience, man. You get for sure. It's mostly rejection, and you have to go in there every time, and to the same people who shit on your stuff last year or bought it and then wanted a good dad. You have to go in. And just say, remember last year I said this was the idea I've always been wanting to do? I've been saving it for this year. <laughs> this, this is the one. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the confidence is what, what you're talking about is so true. You know, even before the idea, you got to have a good idea. You got to have a good idea that represents your voice. But if you go in and you're not confident with it, it'll never sell. You, you got to come in with that confidence first. And that's just true of writing. You know, um, 
you, you, you're in a writer's room, as I think the washout rate for staff writers is like 50%, you know, more, of like people who are hired as staff writers don't work again, you know? So again, I, as I said early on, your first pitch, you're feeling like, oh, I'm in the room, I did it. No, you didn't do it, they're not gonna buy it. <laughs> you're gonna be in this room a million more times, you know? Or if they did buy it, great. You, maybe you make it, maybe you don't. You're still gonna be in the room a million more times when they don't buy it. And the same thing is true in the writer's room. Like, okay, you did it, you're in a writer's room. No, 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 that's when the real work starts. One of the most helpful things I read that I think helps for pitching, but I read it about auditioning, is, and it made me a lot less nervous going into rooms, is that they want you to be that person. They want you to have all the answers. They want you to have the show that they've been waiting for. And I think that's really helpful to know. These people are rooting for you. They, they really, they want to buy it. It's just a matter of if it all falls into place or not. Well, we're gonna we're gonna kick it to the audience here in just a second. Um, but really quick, I, I did want to ask, kind of, just you've made the pitch, you've sold the show. Um, in that room, you know, they, they had those specific questions you guys were talking about that you gave answers to. I mean, how much leeway do you have to make changes when you're actually sitting down to write it, and you know, you, you run into a wall and you're like, I, this kind of goes against some of the stuff we had in the pitch. Like, are you able to do that? Do you have to talk that over with the network? Like, what's that process? Yeah, yeah I, I, I do it because it depends. If it goes against the, the core of what you were pitching, and it's like, you know what, this shouldn't be a mock documentary. This should be like really a soft drama. Then, then you, you have to talk to some people. But if you're just like, this story point doesn't work, because the, the worst part of this, and there's a lot of worst parts, as, as Joel has kind of indicated, the, the, the worst part is like that you have an idea in your mind, and, it, and then it goes from the pitch, which is great, because the pitch you can expand and you can interact with. But then they're like, then they need to see like the story document, which is you know this whole idea distilled, which is, they never want it too long, and then it's always too short, and then you make it too long, and then the outline is the worst um, after that because they can't read it. But you don't know, I mean, personally, and hopefully they'll, maybe they'll agree, you don't know really until you write something if it works, and then you don't know until you see it. So, like, you have to be able to, and you have to be confident enough in your idea that you know this idea much better than they do, and you know what'll work and what doesn't work. And the best thing is when they tell you um, when they give you an idea, you say, oh my God, it's a great idea, and then you do your thing, and you say, thank you, that was your idea, and they love it. Like, just yeah, that's, that's a, a, a good thing that I've picked up uh, from you and uh, another show I work for, Bill Lawrence, is like, if you can convince the network that something you did was their idea, do that every time, because they really like it. They want to be a part of the project. And so what I always do is, um, I, uh, uh, I do kind of what I want and for, for a script, for thing, and then they give notes, and then I kind of just do what I want, and then give all of the credit for all of the changes to them. And then sort of retroactively say, you know, I changed this line because of the note that you said about they're not really feeling present in the third, that's why I changed that. So thank you so much, I would not have found the answer without you. And uh, they really, it's, it's, it seems like a cheap gimmick, but it works every time. 100% of the time. That uh, and a celebrity. If you have a celebrity, yeah, you do it, forget it. Yeah. So, uh, but, but going back to this idea of like, yeah, uh, Jeff's right. Like, you have to have a core idea that is, is what you believe in. That's what you pitched. It's what got you excited. And once you start to lose that, and especially in the network pilot process, that's a, there's a really good um, uh, uh, movie called The TV Set that is incredibly hard to find. Yeah but it is the best uh, distillation of everything we're talking about of 
of how to go from pitch to pilot to series. If you still want to do this after this, go watch that. <laughs> Oof, it is a brutal slog, and it's sort of based on, uh, I think it was written by uh, Jake Kasdan, based on the experience of making Freaks and Geeks. And so it's uh, David Duchovny plays like a Judd Apatow uh, character, and uh, it's, it's about the, that, the exact idea we're talking about, which is you have a core idea, you have a thing that excites you, you go in, you sell it, and then people start to tug at the edges. And it's about how you can, uh, and this, that's, the movie's kind of a you know, comedic tragedy about like he loses the, the, the showrunner loses the ability to, to keep that core idea and it starts to get torn apart. So as long as you're keeping that core idea, things will change, you know? Like you don't have all the answers in the pitch room, you don't have all the answers before you go in there, and as much as we're saying, uh, you know, this is annoying, that's annoying about people, it is a collaborative process. People weigh in, networks, executives sometimes do have the answer. Um, sometimes the cast has the answer. Sometimes you're usually your fellow writers have the answer. You know, um, the writers' room is anyone who dismisses dis diminishes or dismisses the writers' room. I think is an idiot. Uh, it's the best process to get television and made is collaboration. I mean, you have six of you guys, yeah. so uh, collaboration. You don't have all the answers. You're not you're not the funniest person uh, of all time. You hire other people, you work with other funny people, they change the idea with their ideas, and, uh, and, and that process is essential. And then it'll become what it becomes as long as, and, it, and it'll become what it should become as long as you keep that core identity of what it is. All right, well, we've got a, a little bit of time for some questions. Uh, they're gonna pass some mics around. So, uh, yeah, you, sir, in the back, you seem ready to go. <laughs> I am, thanks, it's a good discussion. Um, you guys all kind of had come up through the industry, so I was surprised when you said you don't need a pilot, you just need an idea. Uh, first question about that is, say you're not from the industry, say you hadn't been writing on a staff before that. Can you, first of all, there's a question how you get in the room. The second question is, are you pitching an idea then, or do you have to have a script for somebody to buy it if you don't have a track record? I feel like to get in the room, it's important to have work that they can read, like other pilots. I, um, what I was saying was the idea you're pitching doesn't necessarily have to have the script. But I think it's important for them to be able to get a feeling of your work and what kind of writer you are. I, I think it's open, it's a lot, because there's so many more, you know, now you don't need even a network or a studio to do it, you can just do something online. If you do something on Funny or Die and, and you get traction, that's, a, that's the thing. Everyone always asks me, how do I get my pilot made? And it's like, you know, I, and especially now, like I spoke to a group of college kids, and they're like, how do you become a showrunner? And I was like, well, I've been doing this for 25 years, and you're 22. <laughs> so come back to me in 25 years after you've gone through all the uh, indigestion that I have. And, you know, so yeah, so I definitely came up traditionally. I started as a staff writer and worked my way up and, and through it, and, you know, you develop that muscle. And, and people want to hear from me because they know that I know what I'm doing, and, and, but like to start out, it's like if you don't have that in, because it is very hard, it is very hard, even with all the TV shows on now, it's very hard to get in a room, write, write something, write something super funny, super smart, super original, and, and still, it's been my experience that truly great, funny people work, fine work. Yeah, I think the, the way that Katie Dids did it uh, is the best way to sort of break, uh, if you're not in New York or LA, uh, that's the best way to sort of sell your idea is, uh, here's visual proof that we're funny and we have a sense of story and, and we have an idea. 
uh, and we can, you, we can send it in an email. I think if you're outside the industry, that's the best way. But at the same time, I don't want to diminish the work that you guys did. Like you were all Chicago improvisers for years, mm -hmm. honing your craft, uh, you know, becoming funnier, becoming sharper. That I think is the, uh, the you know, the 10,000 hours thing is not a, it's not a, just a Malcolm Gladwell bullshit thing. Like it's real. Like the more you do something, the better you get at it. So let's say, uh, you know, I know plenty of successful writers who don't, have, uh, don't feel comfortable on stage and aren't performers. But what they did was they wrote script after script after script. And someone said in college, you know, uh, about LA, you, everyone in LA has a script. Uh, now, you, now you say, uh, okay, do you have two scripts? You already are down to like 80%, right? 80% don't have two scripts. Then you say, do you have five scripts? And then now you're down to like, you know, 0.5%. Uh, like most everyone has an idea or they, it's fucking hard to write a script. So they do the one, but you don't get good really until, I don't know, uh, my, on my specs, I think my, the one that really hit for me was like my seventh. Um, and I, you know, I read it now, it's still good. I read the first five, they're dog shit, you know? <laughs> Uh, sometimes I steal jokes from them and I use them in different things and I can steal jokes, but I can't steal like the story structure because there was none, you know? And I worked for free for so long. Yeah. You, you, you work for free for a while. That is a not a, yes. Time. That, uh, someone explained your career arc. You work for free, then you're underpaid, then you're <laughs> properly paid, then you're overpaid, then you don't work. Yes. Um, <laughs> And that's, and maybe now the, this, then you're overpaid, then you work on a kid's show, then you don't work. It's sort of the modern equivalent. But uh, I came up, I did improv for a long time. I was, uh, I didn't write scripts. There's something, uh, improv can be a trap in that way of like, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm getting my creative juices out every night. You know, like I'm scratching that itch. I don't need to write things down. It's about the art, baby. Uh, and then, and then you realize, oh shit, I'm 28 and living in a shitty apartment <laughs> with my roommate. I need to fucking write something down. Um, so then I started working my way up in rooms and the amount that my writing got better by being in a writer's room, uh, it, it's, you jump up enormously cause you're around other great writers. You know, I was able to learn from Jeff, uh, in the room that he was in. There's these, uh, Mike Schiff and Bill Martin who ran Third Rock from the Sun and, uh, and, and other shows and worked on Living Color. And so like, and then I worked for Bill Lawrence and, and so, and you know, and he talked about, you know, so and, he, and everyone has a different process and all these people are very good at their jobs and you're just soaking everything up. And I definitely, if I had sold uh, Brockmeyer from Funny or Die when I was working there with, you know, your, four years before I eventually sold it. And, but those four years, I, I started working on Brockmire. I wasn't, I was a writer, but I wasn't a TV writer. And then uh, this process just took so long. I started, you know, I worked in the TV rooms for four years. And if I had uh, sold it and got it on the air when we, when I, before I worked in the writer's room, it would have been terrible. It really does, it really, really, really helps to understand the process and uh, to learn from people who know more than you. All right, I think we have time for one more question. Uh, maybe right here in the front. Thank you. Um, is there anything in place when you go into pitch protecting your ideas as your intellectual property? Like I heard you talk about, you know, them saying, oh, we have a similar show. Is there something protecting them from going, that's a great idea for this similar show we have? No, any other questions? 
No, it's very, very, it's very, it's impossible. I mean, that's kind of one of the, the risks that you take in going in there. And I know so many people who have gone in and they pitched and it's like, yeah, we're going to pass on that. That's not really our thing. And then you find out they're developing something and you're like, oh, mother. But you, I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I think every idea is out there in some form, you know, and you're just lucky enough if you were going to, you know, I did a, a mock doc on, you know, uh, based uh, non non uh, litigatable on this uh, documentary called The Staircase, and you know, and then I did it for Netflix. We sold it to NBC, and Netflix has American Vandal that everybody loves and has heard of, you know, which is another mock doc. And like, what a genius thing! It's like, yeah, you know, I stole this first. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think it's a it's a. Uh... It's when you're starting out, and certainly when I was starting out, you're very concerned about they're going to take my idea, they're going to take my idea. And, and you mail it to yourself. That's yeah, what they yeah. tell you to do. Or I, I, you don't want to register at the guild, you mail it to yourself. Fucking, I registered my first script with the guild like a yeah. real noob. Um, yeah. But uh, the truth is, uh, you know, does it happen? Yes. So, and, but it usually happens in small ways of like, you pitch a funny joke on something and then they're kind of doing something else and all of a sudden that joke's in it and you're like, fuck, that's my joke. But like, you know, the best lesson I learned from Jeff is jokes are free. If you're funny, you can write new jokes. Like, don't stress about jokes. If you're funny, the jokes will come. But um, uh, they really don't steal your ideas. They, they really don't. So I would, you know, it, it happens in rare occasions and when they do, it's like a small thing that you're like, ah, fuck, it's, it's you know, that's not great, but it's, but don't be so concerned that, like, I have this... Because that's the other thing, as Jeff said. You don't have the genius idea that no one else is... That we're all standing on the shoulders of other writers who have come up with other things that you're being influenced by. You don't have the, you know, the great American television show that no one else sees in your head that they're going to take from you. That doesn't... You have your idea, which is kind of similar to other ideas, and other people are going around town pitching ideas similar to yours. Yeah, and a lot of times it's a race, and a lot of times it's, you know... And by the way, my first pilot I ever wrote was called Faculty, Katie. <laughs> right around the time that you were born. <laughs> Interesting. My mom whispered it to the womb. <laughs> uh, well, I want to thank everybody for coming out today. Uh, thank the panelists so much for coming. Uh, everybody enjoy the rest of your festival. And uh, yeah, have a good time. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.